the SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by Media One Audiovisual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Hello. Hello. Oh, look at that. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for being here at the electronic music-themed panel at the SF Music Tech Conference. My name is Andrew Smith. I am the publisher and founder of Accelerator, uh, which is an electronic music uh, website and former publication as of earlier this year. Dead. Um, but uh, Accelerator.com is continues to live after 18-plus years. And um, uh, I'm here to tell you guys all about electronic music through the words of these folks here. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, electronic music is the uh, only genre that is, is a themed panel here. Uh, so there must be some connection with technology. And I guess we'll figure out what, uh, what that is. Uh, and hopefully, uh, we, we, we were talking earlier, and I think we're going to tread through the footsteps of electronic music uh, over the years and, and sort of try to define what it is and what it means um, in the present in that exercise. Talk about uh, the current popularity and size of electronic music uh, and how it relates to technology in the present and um, maybe some things about the future and then open up for a Q&A with you guys. Uh, oh, look at that. Man. There's Jonah Sharp. Hi, Jonah Sharp. Uh, <laughs> so uh, um, I, uh, I'd like to just uh, have everyone here introduce themselves. First, we have Chris Smith at the end here from Ohm Records. Hi, I'm Chris Smith from Ohm Records. And, uh, you know, uh, Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background. I, uh, I run Ohm Records. Uh, we, uh, Ohm is a um, San Francisco-based independent label focused primarily on dance music, electronic music. And we've been here for 17 years. It's our 17th year, and, um, but based in San Francisco. And um, that's what we do. We, we do electronic music. We also have music publishing. Um, we do events. We do brand marketing for brands that want to get involved with artists and music in the genre. And that's, that's what we do. And you've been around for nearly as long as Accelerator, 17 years. Yeah, like a year. You're 18. 18 we're old, plus. basically. Yeah, we're old people. We like to talk about the 90s. Anyway, uh, okay, and now we have uh, Peter Siciliano from Beatport. Hello, I'm Peter Siciliano from Beatport. Yes. Um, I'm the CTO there. Um, I'm also a DJ and producer, uh, so I get to see both sides. Um, if, you don't, if you're unfamiliar with Beatport, uh, we sell music to DJs, uh, built and designed by DJs for DJs. Um, so we uh, make sure that the music of the electronic style gets out there for everyone to mix and play with. And they do it so well. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, Zach Darling of Zach Darling Creative Associates, give us a little uh, info on yourself, please. Sure. Hi, how are you? I'm Zach Darling, and uh, I started, uh, I, I got involved in around 1995 <laughs> producing raves and uh, being a rave flyer graphic designer. And uh, uh, over the years, I've produced a number of events. I'm the nighttime producer for Harmony Festival. I'm also the designer for Earth Dance Festival. And as of this year, I just retired, but I was the uh, North Bay Burning Man regional representative. And I've been, I'm a DJ as well. I run a, a music blog that's kind of focused on electronica and mashups called mashstep.com. And um, I've been doing a lot of design and artwork in the world and music and production in the, uh, in the electronica world for a while. Thank you very much. So uh, I just want to start off by talking a little bit about uh, electronic music. 
uh, where it's been, um, and uh, hopefully not dwell on that for too long. But um, uh, one of the things that um, uh, I find very interesting is that over the last uh, couple of decades, electronic music sort of really bloomed here uh, in, in the United States uh, and has become a staple of mainstream culture. Um, perhaps maybe uh, one of the things we could start with is just a, uh, a little bit of background uh, of uh, sort of where we see electronic music, how it's uh, evolved and uh, where it's come from. Um, I know that one of the things that uh, was, you know, we had club music in the in the 90s and uh, in the 80s. Uh, we had disco before that. Uh, where a lot of us all entered in was in the is it was in the early 90s when uh, when rave music became big, um, and uh, we were sort of the underdogs uh, in the music world, and there wasn't. Uh, uh, there, there was a lot of sort of like, hey, what about us and, and me too and all that sort of thing. Um, but now you'll see that uh, electronic music has sort of uh, pervaded the uh, the music world in, in so many ways and uh, almost to the point where it's undefinable. But I'd like to sort of uh, see if we can talk about how we would uh, how we would define the musical genre that is electronic music, or as they say these days, is it, is it EDM, Chris? Is that what the, the yes. interns at Ohm Records say? It's EDM, electronic dance music. Right, right. Yeah, I have I, uh, some of my little younger hipster interns are throwing, but started throwing the term EDM around at the office, and I was like, what the what the fuck is this new EDM genre? Like, I don't <laughs> even know. Like out of touch. It's electronic dance music. I was thinking IDM as soon as I heard that term. Yeah, you got to go intelligent with it. Yeah. yeah. It's not intelligent anymore. It's just electronic. Yeah. It's just electronic. Yeah. EBM. <laughs> and then we had electronica at one point. I don't know who gave us that term. Uh, we, we rejected it flatly, actually, over at Accelerator. Uh, but electronic music is, is what? It's music that's made with electronic uh, instruments? Or is it music that you dance to? Uh, or, uh, you know, what is electronic music? I think, I, for me, I, 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 there's a lot of different de definitions, but I think for me, it's music made with electronic in instruments that has been born out of club culture. So, I mean, there's plenty of music that's been produced with, with electronic instruments that's not electronic, you know. So, anyway, I, the, the term, the definition is kind of a silly definition when you look at it, but that, that's what it is for me. Well, we have 18 genres of electronic music, so... And that's not even at all Beeport. the genres that exist at Bport. Those are the official electronic music genres. Official for Bport. So yes. But the world. Well, Should we? No. Uh, well, <laughs> there there are some standard ones that pretty much everyone can agree on. But when you start getting into Moonbaton, then you know it gets a little bizarre. Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, so so electronic music is arguably maybe one of the most uh, subdivided genres of music. Uh, in the yes. world, and a lot of people that are aficionados of electronic music also are very uh, passionate about those subdivisions. Uh, we were talking also earlier about how uh, electronic music has evolved uh, and, and through these subdivisions. Um, uh, Zach, do you have any thoughts on, the, on where you see electronic music or with the definition thereof? Well, I think it's definitely the the genre of music that's allowed itself to interbreed and cross-pollinate beyond any other styles out there. Uh, in, in many ways, it it's kind of done a flip recently, it feels like, where in the earlier days when it was kind of developing its its place and evolving out from just the specifics, the house and the trance and, and, and the starting points, 
and started integrating other styles. You'd get like reggae house, and you'd get uh, you know jazzy jazzy house, and you'd, you'd kind of start integrating these other subgenres or, or mainstream styles into electronic music. And and now it's getting to the point where a lot of these mainstream genres are integrating electronica, and you're hearing hearing a lot more electronic influences and things like hip hop and, and mainstream music, whereas. Electronic used to be the one always pulling the samples. Now it seems like it's going the other direction, and the samples are being pulled from this genre. Are people sampling our electronic music? Because I don't think that's fair, really. Yeah. <laughs> don't we have the rights on those? I think we need to get a lawyer or something. Uh, yeah. What's that? That's in the other room. Oh, right. Yeah, there's no lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, electronic music... Um, well, for me, what was interesting about the music and about the culture is that it was founded on a, on a DIY ethic where pretty much anything went and you could steal samples and you could make your own record label and your own distribution company and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, I don't know, does some of that spirit still live where uh, sampling is okay and uh, uh, is electronic music uh, uh, still sort of uh, at, the, at the edge of, um, of music in terms of... Uh, of what's right and wrong and raves and electronic parties and things like that? I mean, does it still have some of that seedy underworld to it, or is it a... Uh, you guys don't know. It seems I think it can be very seedy. It can be very seedy. Chris Smith himself, actually. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it seems like uh, it, it, it's kind of split in itself, where you have a lot of the original uh, producers that are coming up with their original music that are really protective of the rights of it as it is. And then on the other side of the electronic world, you have like the mashup realm, where it's completely pirating its own self. And you're getting artists making remixes. Will they take, will they take two electronic artists who own rights and have copyrights on their music and mashing those up together? So it's... Um, it, it's kind of cannibalistic, it seems, at the moment. I, I also think that, like, creatively, what a lot of artists do with samples now takes it to such another level that it's not just, like, nicking a vocal loop and repeating mm-hmm. it. It's like they, they, they do quite a bit more with it. So I, I, I definitely think it's, I mean, as running a label, we get a lot of music in. There's a lot of samples in it still. and But it's, it's, it's still as prevalent, but I think it's a little bit more uh, they, uh, creative, the use of it. And we definitely take a few liberties still and genuinely get, or most of the time get away with it. Really? Yeah, really. (laughs) Peter, any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, as a store uh, that is relatively high profile, we have to kind of skate a very thin line on what we're allowed to sell. So if we get a takedown notice, we have to take it very seriously. But um, I would say for the most part, there there are definitely still a lot of samples. There are... uh, Definitely a lot of mashups that make it through. And actually, in, in a lot of cases, if it does cross over to become large enough, if they sell enough, um, they'll retroactively go back and get everything licensed. So by the time that we're getting a takedown notice, they have, oh, wait, no, I got this piece of paper. As of last week, this is good. Right. So. Right, so that, that's the way that things have evolved. Yeah. It just seems like that's an interesting way for producers where they've discovered a way to test the market, the, the viability of the market of the track. And if they're able to go back and no harm, no foul, buy the, buy the rights afterwards, uh, it allows them to really find out if it, if it, if it has yeah, As long first. as the person they're licensing from doesn't already know they're selling it on Beeport. So right. it's, it's a little bit of a fine line and a gray area because I'm sure they'll get sure. a little bit more money if it's the other way around. Right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about where we find ourselves right now with electronic music. Uh, I read the other day, I think it was last week, that Paris Hilton wants to be the next mega house DJ. Um, on 
on Fact Magazine, which is a pretty underground uh, uh, music website from the UK. Uh, and I've I've seen this come and go a few times. Uh, I think uh, Boy George tried Perry, his Perry hand at Perry, Perry Farrell, right? Uh, some other people I can't even remember. Um, it it's are we there again, or is this something new? Is this something new? With a, I mean, uh, is it things always go in circles? There's a single out right now. Yes. Sorry, who was that? Yes. Paris Hilton is going to take over the club scene, apparently. Yeah. Well, she just released a single. Yes. Did she really? Yes. Yes. Oh, barf. How's There's, it selling? Uh, we don't sell it, I don't oh, think, okay. do we? No. Well, it, that, that comes down, I think that comes down a lot to the hardware. It used to be that beat matching records on a pair of 1200s with a mixer required a certain level of skill and knowledge and, and, and fine-tuning and understanding. But what's coming out with a lot of the hardware now, with a lot of the Serato itch mixers and Newmark just came out with a new one, syncing records is just the push of a button now, which really kind of opens that up to just about anybody and, and takes some of the skills out of it. Although they're fun and wonderful, it, it, it definitely opens it up to where anybody can be a DJ. Yeah, it t- well, it takes the technical skill out of it, but it's, it doesn't take the programming and the mm-hmm. knowing how to rock it skill out of it. So, and so I, th- I think that they'll end up being a, a lot more of these celebrity DJs, and just I just I think the, the trend will continue now because electro- dance music is so popular right now. Mm-hmm. But it's still, I mean, just in the same way, the tools are available f- um, that make it. Like when I started first ma- making electronic music, it was all MIDI, drum machines, synthesizers. Wires and cables. Now you can do the, the you know you can do the same thing on your iPad, but it it doesn't it, you, you there's the, the barrier is so much lower now, but it's still hard to make good tracks. Right. Yeah. I think if you tried to if you tried to sell a track uh, with the same song structure from '95, with has you know just an intro, uh, a little bit of a hook, a breakdown, or your hook again, and it ends. That's my structure. Yeah, well, that's a basic structure, Don't but you have, to, you, have to, you have to fancy up that hook a little bit now. I mean, the, the audience is getting a lot more savvy when it comes to what they're looking for in a hook. It can't just be like one little theme um, because it took you five days to get your 303 connected to everything, and you're like, oh, yeah, I got it out. Now it's like you really have to have the layer and have multiple elements happening for people to catch that sound. Yeah, yeah. Are there a couple of comments here? Uh, you had your hand up first. I mean, do you guys want to basically try to maintain a DIY aesthetic or even pander to it or actually pander to a a more mainstream aesthetic? I, for one, love DIY. I don't think DIY is going to die. I think the thing about electronic music is that we were talking about this earlier. Um, You know, uh, one of the things about electronic music is that uh, it really allows an individual to be a producer, someone with a single idea to go ahead and, and set out to do something. And it was the first you know, popular genre that uh, really made that possible. Uh, nowadays, you can be you know, an entire symphony orchestra or rock band or whatever it is uh, as an individual. But uh, that was frowned upon um, in the early days of electronic music as, hey, you don't play the drums or you can't play saxophone or guitar. Uh, actually, I can play the saxophone, but um, uh, you know, the, uh, that, that was considered a, uh, 
uh, a non-musician status. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's always going to be a, for me at least, that's always going to be an aspect of what electronic music is, how you define it. You know, I think it's fascinating, speaking of DIY, we've got a new genre. It's the, the uh, DIY EDM genre. Uh, uh, <laughs> we were at that town. Yeah. Put it on, put it on beat Number porn. 19. But, uh, it, you know, one of the things that I think that's made electronic music artists rise above the crowd on a regular basis is the ones that get really innovative and, and do the DIY thing. And those that are playing the, the latest, you know, Serato Scratch box and, and is sitting at the decks with something like that and maybe aren't, aren't pushing the, the genre. But those that, uh, a couple of the ones that I can think of are um, uh, Dub Effects or Beardy Man, some of these beatboxers that are really taking things to the next level with the looping and the sampling and setting up a whole rig in front of them with their, with their foot pedals and really ta- creating an entire electronic and music sounding track with only their own, with their own voice. You know, as, as artists continually to kind of evolve the, the, the performance experience beyond just the DJing, you know, you see uh, Modest Mouse doing these insane shows uh, uh, behind the DJ booth. You know, maybe that's the, the next step is, is taking it beyond just button pushing or record scratching. Thoughts, chaps? <clears throat> uh, thoughts on the DIY versus... Is DIY, uh, will DIY ever die? I, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I know that what, what we're looking for is just artists, artists that are really cool artists and um i think that the diy aspect of it is always the genesis of any artist i mean you have to you have to get it going somehow um but then i i for us it's a huge benefit also when the artist has sort of the diy uh, aesthetic in their business how they how they run their shit so they they actually care about building a tribe and a network around what they're doing and put a lot of work into it like the artists that we have that 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 really work on that level, it seems to be the most successful generally. So I think DIY is incredibly important and will remain that way. It's the start. I mean, just mm-hmm. to sum it up, for us, uh, we see a lot of people that come from nowhere uh, that'll do a remix contest with us, for example, and it'll be the first time they've ever done a remix contest. They win it and they blow up and yet they actually turn out to be an amazing producer uh, that never would have gotten found had they just done nothing. Right. Uh, and those tools that have become really easy to use, yes, you have those tools and you can make a really simple track, but it is the artistic element that takes it to another level where you can recognize that, well, it's kind of boring without this, or you have a unique sound um, that you wouldn't have heard otherwise unless those tools were easy enough to use that you could pick it up and try a remix contest. Definitely. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to see. That's why I like that whole experience. I mean, we're dependent upon new artists coming on the scene. Established artists go on and part of big labels. Yeah, and also, even though there's these huge artists like blowing up in the electronic genre, there's it's still possible for like just anyone to just overnight kind of take off. Definitely. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. So it's like you know you don't have to be discouraged if you're, you're seeing like you know Dead Mouse and all these artists and go, it's gone mainstream now and it's over and it's too late and it's just not the case. I mean, it, it's like it, anything you, can you just don't have take right off. Fifty thousand dollars for an LED head. <laughs> We actually just got a demo from a guy uh, from Bolivia who his act is he's got a TV on his head and nice. it plays like visuals out of the TV and um, it was it was pretty cool actually but that sounds all right we're like this is it um, and on that note so I think it's uh, um, 
Uh, we, one of the things I want to touch on is, is where does electronic music stand in terms of being ahead or behind the curve and, and versus technology. And obviously electronic music uh, is uh, the artists that make electronic music are uh, ahead of the curve in the music production area. Uh, they tend to be early adopters of software programs and hardware accessories and all that kind of thing. Uh, what are some other areas where electronic music has been ahead of the curve? Um, I mean, Chris, you talk about how important it is for uh, electronic music artists to be on top of social networking and all that kind of thing. I mean, were they just sort of part of the crowd where everyone had a MySpace page and all that? Or have, or do we, have we seen some things that are more uh, ahead of the curve there? Um, I, I mean, I, I think that just generally artists that are in the genre tend to be more tech savvy anyway. It's just kind of a natural tendency. Um, so they've, you know, been ahead of the curve from adopting things like SoundCloud from the very beginning or, you know, any, any of these tools. Um, so I think that's just a natural, predominantly natural thing for these artists. But, <clears throat> but they don't, they're all, they're still artists though. And they don't, they're not always ahead of the curve or even, you know, pulling their weight in terms of doing what they need to do to build fans, you know, and that you still have to do all that stuff. So. Right. Every individual artist, no matter what genre they're in, needs to be their own promoter. Yeah. I mean, you don't don't all have to be, but I mean, I generally, you you really need to to put, the, the, the artists that we work with that have put a lot of work in that on the, on their own, like Bass Nectar, I mean, he built like a whole empire, and he did—he really did it himself, you know. Mm-hmm. And, or Cascade. I mean, th- these artists put a lot of work in um, beyond what the label did on their own, and it, it proves in the pudding, you know. True. It seems like the the DJs were some of the uh, uh, earlier early adopters to um, many of the tools of self promotion. You know, in, in the '90s, you never saw a DJ who didn't have a, a demo tape in their pocket ready to hand out. And it seems like the demo tape experience has really evolved into a lot of the digital realm, whereas DJs and electronic and music producers were the the musically talented nerds. So they, you know, a lot of times jumped on on board with a lot of those various elements. And through social networking, it's really made it uh, easy for people to to do that kind of widespread promotion of their their latest track or what have you, especially through tools like SoundCloud. <clears throat> Peter, do you see that in the sort of the retail uh, music area as well with uh, with electronic music? I mean, of, of course. I mean, mostly. I mean, from our side, we see it from the production standpoint. Uh, what's again, sort of what's acceptable standards wise, is much more advanced than what you would even gotten in a studio model uh, ten years ago, um, mastering and, and the quality of the tracks themselves. But from a uh, social media perspective, it's absolutely mandatory to be in that space. And mm-hmm. those guys spend a lot of time doing uh, podcasts or uh, Ustreams. We do one as well. Um, anything that you can do to get your name out there, they're ready to accept. And uh, getting over the hurdles of figuring out how to do with your webcam and plug it in and make everything work and get the sound coming through your mixer. And, I mean, those are just everyday occurrences for those guys. Right. So I, th- I think they're willing to go through a lot more technology pain um, to, to hopefully see a gain than, you know, Many other people in other genres just like, although bands have a whole nother. Do you want to talk about the? Yeah, that's that's yeah. They, they have it's to. Not the topic of this. Sorry, right. yeah. <laughs> there is no other genre. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the, you sir had a question.
Lady Gaga track. Is that true? You put me on the spot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> remix, remixes. Okay, but but as far as you know, the the DJ component to uh, your music, how do you guys feel about you know uh, DJs um, like Paris Hilton or whatever, just pushing a button and using your productions um, to DJ? Because there are lots of benefits, I think, to to that. What do you guys? How do you feel about that? The question being, like, is the is the DJ a musician and therefore stealing some of the thunder of the producers, or uh, or, helping. or helping? Depends on the DJ, I guess. Yeah, it depends on the music. So I mean, it's it. There. So I do all my mixes, no name. So I, my name's not on anything. So if they want to play it, sure, that's great. I'm like, I get a little happy feeling inside when I hear something I've done played out by whoever plays it. Um, but uh, is that the future, or is that following the future? That's the question. So I, I would say that that's more following the trend instead of becoming the trend. Um, and answer your question, I mean, it, it cycles through every time as well. Does it help the trend? Uh, What's the, the trend? What is the trend? Uh, of of uh, music being used just at, and played. Music to be used just played. Does it, does it help having a superstar uh, player music? Is that what you're asking? I mean, I if they want to play. I mean, if a DJ wants to play it's a song, of, I, you know, I think it's. I, I mean, I think the, it's definitely a discovery mechanism when you're in a club and you hear a song. Um, if Paris Hilton's playing it, I I don't know what that would be like. Probably be awful, but um, it still. If the people that are at that event are enjoying it, then they're discovering that music, and then they can use their Soundhound or whatever to discover it. It's it's uh, definitely positive. I mean. <laughs> It's an interesting thing because in no other genre that I can think of are people making a track for somebody to go out else to go out and perform. And uh, that's one of, the, one of the, 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 the things about being a producer. I'm not a producer myself, but you know, what they're doing is they're creating tools to make the DJs look good. And the better the tools, the more they're going to sell and the better the DJ looks. And the more that DJ becomes identified and connected with that producer. And then they become a loyal customer. And they can keep going back for those tracks. And, it's in, and a lot of times it started with the producers making the tracks, DJs discovering them and playing them. But as the, as the, as the production tools got more and more widespread, a lot of the DJs have switched the other way. Bass Nectar didn't start making tracks. He started playing tracks. But as he got... As he got more into it and really threw his head into it and discovered he had a great ear for it and he's got a musical background which happens to be metal uh, he, uh, uh, he, he, he made the switch and started making his own tracks and then wrote on his own wave so it's kind of a, 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 an interesting relationship between the two they, they're there to support each other true it, DJing is definitely a unique aspect of electronic music and DJs uh, uh, can be considered artists in their own right yeah, and they consider artists, but I mean, it, essentially, though, for, if, they're, if they're just DJing, they're basically playing, just playing other people's music, mm-hmm. and and creating it, you know, an art form out of that. And I've I've had a couple gigs recently, where I played some good sets, and people came up to me and they're, man, that was a great set. And I, you know, I was just like, you know, the tracks that I have right now are so fucking good, and it's like it's easy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just there's some really really good music out there, and you're just programming it, and that's what you're doing. Um, and I think that it the DJ tends to get the glory from from these tracks that are really well made, a lot, and you know something. A lot of those guys don't get any of the shine, but that's kind of just how it, how it goes. 
but it's one of the interesting things, um, and this is you know directly related to Beatport, uh, is that um, you know the DJ is uh, is also a consumer of music. So you have within electronic music, you have the audience, you know, who consumes music and buys it through wherever. Uh, but then you also have a, a DJ who's buying music, um, say for something through like Beatport, um, and uh, and you know that might be uh, they might need a trusted source like that for a number of reasons, uh, you know. Exactly. I mean, it, uh, we have a really unique audience in the, in the sense that uh, in some cases our audience is also our supplier um, because DJs are producing and they're also consuming. Um, and then there's a whole fan base out there that wants to use something like Beatport as a discovery mechanism, but they don't want to necessarily buy the music from us because they don't really need eight minutes of their favorite song. They want the radio mix and they don't know how to find it. Um, so we don't really cater towards that audience now, but the community of DJs um, and this particular space that we're in, it is super unique in the electronic music world where DJs get it. They understand that, okay, eight minutes means there's two or three breakdowns and I'll be able to get into it and play my favorite two minutes of it and move on. So it's you have to be active with the music you buy from us, and I think that's in general with electronic dance music. Um, you have to be active with the music that you purchase and use. Uh, it's not so much just to sit back and listen to it unless it's already pre-mixed. I have a question for you. It's been a while since I set up my Beatport account, but I don't remember what questions were asked to me then, but are do you any, do any kind of uh, uh, inquiries in the beginning to where you can find out how many of your customers are, are DJs and how many are producers or just collectors? We've done surveys. So instead of asking account? on registration, um, uh, most are DJs um, and most purchasing are resident DJs. So uh-huh. they need something that they know came from Ohm, that this track was is legit. Right. It doesn't have in the middle of it, you know, someone saying their name. Um, because you ripped it off of some place. That would be very awkward and embarrassing. Uh, and, uh, and they want it high quality. So, you know, we have lossless and we have 320 MP3s, and now we have AFE. So um, it's just it's a safe place to purchase from. I wanted to make actually one more point of uh, what this gentleman was making over here, because uh, he works for a company that does, uh, like, basically online DJ mixes or makes the tools to create them. And I think it's actually... Uh, like what mix DJ does, it's it a DJ can make a mix, and then you can listen to that mix, and you can buy all the tracks on that mix, which I think is a very cool thing. And it's kind of uh, when you look at what's going on with the technology now, Spotify's in the U.S. It's it basically it it makes the whole game to where you're trying to get people to just to listen to your music, as it used to be that you're trying to get people to listen to it so they could then buy it. And now it's going towards, you know, with the exception of maybe Beatport, uh, a, a model where the whole ball game is just get them to listen to it, and that is the transaction. They listen to it, that's the transaction, and um, that that essentially there's a lot of interesting roles I think for a DJ within that because that's what a DJ does. He plays music for people people to listen to and programs it. So, yep, definitely agree with that. Well, thank you. <laughs> We've got a few we questions here. Uh, no, do we got any more? Any more on that? Nope. No. Uh, do you want to? Uh, you and you, ma'am, in the front. Yes. <laughs> Hi, my name is Celeste Lear. I'm a music producer. Um, this question is for Chris. I'm just curious, as a label owner right now, um, I'm sure you're not. Uh, it's hard right now, and maybe you're not signing lots of new acts. And I'm just curious if, if there's to, uh, any genres that are new, blossoming genres that you're keeping your ears out for that are really hot right now, hot material. Hits. <laughs> just hits. Just bring me hits. 
Uh, we were saying uh, that. Curious what genres. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, I mean, we, Ohm hasn't really been, um, we're not a very genre-focused label. We're kind of a little all over the place. So um, our roots have always been in-house. Um, and interestingly enough, it always seems to kind of come back to house uh, for us and for music in general. Um, I think we, ha we also have a label called Smoke and Mirrors, which does more kind of underground deep house and some disco stuff. So we, we kind of have a, we're kind of open to almost anything. We're more looking for artists that are doing something cool and unique. And, that, and, that, and our focus, we're getting more and more focused on that now. Um, so that, is that you? We, I, I, I don't think there's any one formula. I, I, we do get a little nervous when someone's just a producer and they don't perform or they're, they're not really an, they're not an artist around that. There's not an artist around that. They're just kind of a, they just want to be in the studio because that's a little more challenging to promote. Uh, but there, other than that, there's not really a specific formula. It could be an artist that, that likes to DJ, that likes to perform live electronically or as a full live act or, you know, anything. <clears throat> what do I think about con the or the control con like per artists artists that want to get up there and just p perform with a controller and a laptop yeah. uh, I think as long as it's a good show it's a good show uh, whatever it is I mean some you know there's been a lot there were a lot of the early like laptop shows that were just incredibly boring uh, there still are a lot of uh, and, oh, they are types okay. of shows um, but um, <laughs> I but you know, if you know if you're going to be an artist, you have to be an artist. You have to entertain people. You've got to do something that's cool and they, people are going to love. So if you're just up there with your laptop playing beats, it's probably not going to cut it unless you're just really killing it. Um, but then you have, you know, I look at like what Dead Mouse does. I mean, that's kind of like the furthest extreme to that. You know, it's like he's up there with a fucking huge light show, and you know, it's a show. So if you could take that aesthetic and bring it down to whatever you're doing, you have to create something compelling that that people want to like vibe to. That's one of the challenges in the uh, the whole DIY aspect of making music and the DJ aspect of making music is that uh, it, because so many people can make music and perform music, it uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the performance is going to be good, you know, uh, or interesting, I should say. Uh, you know, and I've been to so many shows where, well, I think the the ultimate was was has always been uh, like Aphex Twin, who, you know, he'd have two dancers uh, dressed as teddy bears, you know, on stage, and he'd be hidden behind the whole thing. He was playing like uh, Tetris on his laptop or something, you know. Right. Um, I mean, the that is that's one of the challenges. We were also saying the electronic music a huge challenge is, has always been the history of uh, performing live in in the first place. Uh, uh, it used to be like. Uh, very, very dangerous to play live electronic music um, uh, not so long ago, and uh, things could come crashing down. Um, we used to uh, uh, lend out our Atari ST to, uh, is Jonah still back there? To Mike Paradinas, who Jonah would always have come to town, uh, and uh, he, would, he would fire up his set on that thing, and uh, I would have never played live on it myself, but it was the only one in San Francisco, I think, that anyone owned. And the thing would come crashing down, um, you know, and uh, people used to play off ADAT and all that. And the, now it's, it's very, very easy to make a dynamic and interesting live performance. Uh, but then, you know, there is the challenge of how do you make that performance interesting?
right? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, being there, I guess. Um, so I have a question actually about sort of technology and experimentation with packaging and distribution. And uh, I guess one sort of example of it is like the uh, Radio Soulwax app on, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's um, a project that too many DJs did. And they effectively basically packaged a bunch of, of music videos that they produced or made mixes of and basically tried to have some sort of, uh, you know, a DIY archivist feel for each of those things. And I'm wondering whether or not that's something that you guys are thinking about, or is that more of a don't care, or, you know, just uh, get your guys' take on it. Apps that interestingly showcase electronic <laughs> music? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, of that, or just, you know, just using that as an example, not necessarily as a template, but, you know, I mean, how, how, much, how much willingness or how much, how much thinking do you guys do as far as thinking about experimenting with the mixes that you have in terms of packaging? In terms of packaging? Well, the DJ mix, I mean, one of the few things, one of the... Podcast is an interesting example about about how DJ mixes are like very relevant. Um, you know, podcasting with with music is hard to do, um, but actually quite easy to do with electronic music. Whereas you know, DJ mixes we feature a, a podcast every week on Accelerator. Uh, you know, there are ways to package mixes using technology that um, are very advan advantageous for the format. Um, I don't. Do you have any guys have any thoughts on? On DJ mixes in particular? Are, are you and, talking just about DJ mixes or just about music in general, like packaging it creatively? <clears throat> uh, I, yeah, I'm going to leave that. Okay. I think, well, I think that we, um, it, I know that we try to do that and we don't do enough of it. I think creative packaging is, is really cool. Um, doing it on the physical product side is very expensive um, and tends to work better if you have a more kind of marquee audience that or marquee artist that has like a pretty good built-in fan base that will that can adapt you know adopt that um on the digital side though there's a ton of things you can do i mean other than just putting out an album you can you know you can release different mixes at different times that all tie together or, or if you i don't know if you saw the new bjork pro, uh, project with the app um i think that 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 all that kind of stuff is just wide open playing field right now to do really cool creative shit with it. Yeah. Uh, there are more questions. Does that here. Did that answer what you were trying hey, to? Hey, um, I guess it's sort of uh, maybe a more directed question: is is that is that stuff that you guys are thinking about and is actually on your roadmap, or is that more that you're actually sort of like making plans now to do? We are doing it. I mean, we're we're doing it. Yeah, it's definitely on our roadmap. It's all about okay, what can we do that's going to be fun and interesting and exciting to to try to get this music out there or to launch this campaign. Um, it's it's just uh, you have to do it. We 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 do it quite a bit, uh, but not enough. We're trying to do it more. We spend a lot of time talking about this. What can we do differently? How can we do this differently now to like make an impact? So I'll kind of segue on that one. Um, so I was lucky enough to be able to DJ San Francisco Gay Pride this year. And I'm, I'm not a DJ. I mean, I use DJ software, and I was able to, you know, put together my set. I knew what was good music. I knew what went well together. I mean, I've been a junkie for electronic music since Sounds I heard like you're a DJ. people are people. Since I heard people are people on the radio, I was just like, what is this? And ever since then, so, you know, shout out to DJ Software for having this consumer-facing, really easy-to-use product that I could use on Apple and 
be heard for the music that I knew. Um, and then the music that I played, like I dropped Apotheosis um, of Fortuna and these kids were like, what is that? And it's like, so when I think of like what's new, it's almost like what's old is new again. And then how do you bring that forward again? Um, so that's one question. How do you, like, I know you could bring old new again, but you know, kind of thoughts on that. And then the last thing is uh, shuffler.fm has been really helpful for me in finding electronic music because it seems like the blogosphere is where I learn m the most about electronic music. And I've, I've really been thankful for uh, an aggregator to be able to help me find music on the web. So sort of comments and questions mixed into that. The first part, uh, okay, well, second part was about finding music. Uh, finding music on, uh, you know, electronic music is, is sort of hard to find, and it seems like the blogosphere is, like, the place to go to find it. And it seems like just recently, um, yeah, well, in Beatport, I have to still search. Like, at least I have, you know, a curator who can put things together for me. So it seems like as of late, the blogosphere and the aggregators and the tech community have realized, wait, I can go aggregate all this and feed it back off to people in very... Uh, particular types of subgenres. So, you know, and then the other one is like, how do you bring old, new again, and then what's new, new in electronic? I, I mean, I can say to the old, new thing again um, that, you know, currently I see a lot of the kids that, you know, intern at Accelerator and some of the kids that I employ as the editors uh, that, um, you know, that they're, uh, they're way into house and they're way into the artists that we were interviewing. Uh, you know, back in 93 and 94 when that's all we ever talked about was Deep House. And uh, I've seen the whole thing just go over and over again. And I don't think there's any way to predict or determine how those, those cycles will become refreshed. I think what happens is all of a sudden a whole group of kids have never heard this one thing and then they all tell their friends and then they all tell their friends. And next thing you know, um, I think as long as something is sort of quiet for a while and then and can be rediscovered, it's this magical thing that you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. You know, <laughs> I know that track. Same experience you had when you were DJing, you know. Um, I think there's also kind of gateway music to where fans learn about, like, electronic dance music through, you know, be it trance or something. You know, I don't want to say anything. Like, they, 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 there's starter music that, like, the kids get into, <laughs> like, raving, and they, like, you know, and, and then they go a little deeper with it, and they, you know, over time, they, they start investigating new genres, and they find kind of... Yeah, the gateway drug. Yeah, yeah yes. they, find, they find new genres, and they discover new things. So right now, there's, like, a, a whole slew of, like, 17-year-old kids out there that are starting to rave their faces off. And they're not interested in Deep House, I can tell you that right now. But two or three years from now, they, they might start discovering these other genres. I think know, that... one of the, uh, uh, being an advocate for the whole mashup revolution that's happening right now, I think mashups are one of the most brilliant ways in which old music is becoming new music again. A lot of the DJ mixes that I've released are, are ones that have Beatles, Beatles mashups or, 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 or Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, old uh, Led Zeppelin uh, tracks. And there's a number of times where I played mashups with you know, a Wampin bass line, an electronic bass line, for teenagers that had never even heard of those artists that were before their time, getting turned back on into the, to, onto those artists through, through mashups. And you know, as with any genre, there's a lot of really bad mashups out there. But if you dig through it, there's a lot of really good stuff as well. You know, and in in the uh, in, in your other question the, the, with the aggregators, I haven't done uh, Shuffle.fm, but I know it, the more I relate to Pandora and let it know exactly what I'm what I'm into, the deeper it'll go. And it's interesting how far 
you can tell they're working with a lot of underground artists. The, the time of distance between when a, when an electronic artist releases an album and it gets out, it, it usually took a while before you'd find one of those artists up on Pandora. But nowadays, it's happening a lot quicker. You can tell they're developing that that realm a bit faster and helping people discover uh, newer artists and more relevant artists within the underground world. It's not really underground anymore. It's like when alternative music stopped being alternative. Electronic music just has stopped being underground, but it used to, and it was treated that way for a long time, and it's kind of surfacing in a big way now. Yeah, from, Peter? From a store perspective, uh, we definitely see what's old is new again, popping up all over the place. Uh, there are a lot of re-releases, there are a lot of remasters. Uh, Slip Matt and Lime, if you guys know them, SL2 from 93, 94, just released an entire, uh, their entire catalog pretty much again in August, and... I've nearly fell out of my chair. I was like buying as much as I could. That is awesome. But um, you know, it's just fun to have the trick with that stuff, and it leads to the mashup stuff, I believe. Um, is it's hooky, and you know it, and after you've heard it again, two or three times, then you need to move on from it pretty quickly. So it definitely lends towards like, okay, remember this song? Cool. Here's this cool little part, and then you want to mash up and go into something else and keep flowing, and that's where the DJ element comes in to keep those things fresh and new, but also. Uh, Harken back to the days that uh, we all know and love. And keep up with the uh, diminishing attention spans of uh, today's exactly. generation. Yes. The kids a, these days. There's a great artist, uh, Bruiser Smith. If you guys are into old, brought up, new, check out Bruiser Smith dot whatever it is. But I mean, I listen to that, and he brings in the police, and he brings in all these old people, but he throws down new beats on it, and you're just like falling out of your chair. Bruiser Smith is actually Chris Smith's alias. Um, do we have any more uh, questions here? Hello. Let's go to the uh, back of the room. Oh, no, you got one. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Matt Nakatani. I'm a, a local electronic music producer. Uh, and earlier I noticed that uh, I believe Peter was saying about how they, you offer various bit rates and such. Uh, and at the other talks today, I've seen or seen. It seems that the entire industry, aside from this room, wants to completely like forget about bit rates and completely like eliminate downloading and make it all like streaming one, you know, one twenty-eight or something. So uh, that's w one question that I have is, what are your thoughts on that? And then uh, the second question that I have is, Peter, you, uh, I, you were mentioning that uh, I believe that it's only. Now, the task is not to get somebody to listen to your song and then buy it, but now just to listen to it. And so, or maybe that was you, Chris, sorry. Um, but, and the question is then, how do you monetize that? Well, I, I didn't really say that. <laughs> um, no, I, I did say that. I, I, I said that that's where it appears to be going. It still really isn't there. Um, Spotify launching in the U.S. really gives the first kind of window into, okay, this actually really could happen. This is where it's going. Um, but still, it, downloads are still where, we don't, where all the, where, how things are consumed primarily. Um, but I think, how do you monetize that? Well, that's what everyone's trying to figure out in this building. Um, and we're all working on that I'm really I'm curious hard. what you mean by but, who. But just really quickly, though, I do feel like in the electronic genre, it... It, there is a, a big difference, particularly with sites like Bport, which are DJ driven. Those types of that type of consumer wants to, still wants to own the music and have it locally on their device and have it at the highest bit rate possible, versus a casual listener that just wants to like check out a, you know 
a, a new record for the first time and, and listen to it. They might they probably don't need it as a wave. Uh, you know, I, 128 does not cut it. But I, you know, a 320 a 323 stream that's probably fine to, to for a casual listener. You know, it's super super important for us and our community for high quality um, bit rates. And in fact, you know, we will just continue to go up. Uh, not only is it a market differentiator, but DJs are playing on really big systems for a lot of people. And you put up uh, even a, a 320 MP3 on a Function 1 system that's tuned for that room, and you're going to hear it. Um, mm -hmm. Do most of the kids care? Probably not, because they're already used to that MP3 kind of crackly sound. But then you put it up next to a 16-bit, or you even go up to a 24-bit uh, lossless format, and it will be super, super clean. And uh, that's going to be important for the professional DJ and the professional performer who will be taking these tracks and separating them up and building mashups and everything else. You're going to want to do that from a high-quality format. So, And, Peter, um, you were also saying that um, one of the things that's unique about the DJ is that not only do they want to own the music so that the quality is good, but they want to own the music for the reason that they don't want to share the right. music well, necessarily. Yes. There's a whole other thing with DJs is that right. if, if you find this track and you dug through P-Port for days, because, yes, to, I didn't have a chance to address your comment, but it is, it is hard to find music. Uh, we're working on that. Um, but it, it's hard to sift through. Uh, we're uploading 20,000 tracks a week. Um, how do you find the five that you want to buy this week? Um, so once you actually find those five, you don't want to share that with anyone else. You found those five. I don't want my opening DJ playing the five tracks that I just played, um, even and, though I'm going to play them differently and, and make them mine. But uh, they're really protective of it for the initial period after they've purchased it. And then once everyone's stolen it and put it all over the Internet, then they get a little more relaxed. And they'll put it on their chart and say, oh, yeah, I played this two, three months ago. So, um, yeah, both of those things are super important. Mm -hmm. Hey, I uh, didn't mean to interrupt you. I actually wanted to see if uh, you could clarify your question a little bit. You ask, you're asking these guys, how can you monetize that? Are you talking about you as the DJ or the producer or them as the Beatport and, and record label guys i mean they're finding ways to monetize it are you asking ways that you you can that's right right i it seems like the money for artists are in gigs now the money's not in the in the selling of your music anymore other people selling your music you know making hits producing tracks there's a bit of money in it but you're sharing it with a aggregator or a sales business like a label or a, or a, or a Beatport, but uh, I, from a production perspective, I watched artists change in the amount of money that they uh, ch charge to perform. If they get big, the skyrocketing, I, I paid Bass Nectar $400 once to perform, and, and you know, now he's 75 grand, and if you, can, if, you can make, if you can climb that ladder, that's where the money is for the artists. You know, that's, that's how you can monetize it. More questions? Um, I'm Ellen Lovelidge. I'm a local DJ and uh, electronic and hip-hop journalist. Um, you mentioned a lot of 17-year-olds at shows and kids these days. Um, two sides of that. How do you maintain the creativity um, but while also being popular to that, that huge group of kids that is into electronic music? And how do you guys loving the 90s, no offense, also stay relevant to what that huge group of 17-year-olds... I mean, that's what it is. It's kids these days. That's who's listening to it. So how do you stay relevant to what they want to hear? Kids these days. Kids these days. <laughs> I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have opened that can of worms. Uh, well, I'll just say from the journalistic aspect, I don't write about the stuff anymore. So 
that's how I keep it fresh. I have, I have the kids write about it. Um, but it is interesting that a lot of the stuff that we used to cover is relevant nowadays, and so therefore we have like a lot of context to draw off of. Um, what do you guys say about uh, how, how, do, how do you relate to the, the younger generations? Um, the interns? No. We, we, we do... I mean, I, I don't do prime, most of the A&R at the label anymore. I have younger people that work there. And you really, I mean, you have to at some point go, okay, I'm old. And uh, I still know what I'm doing. I still have a good ear. And I can still be a great kind of sounding board. But um, I need, you know, new blood, fresh blood in there, kind of like bringing a new, you know, new energy to it. And I think that, yeah, just surround myself with much kids. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I think that's the key is just to, I mean, I'm, I'm still deeply involved with it, but you have to have fresh energy in there. So what was the other part? I, you know, I, when I was that kid and, uh, uh, you know, I would really have loved to have someone with, you know, say Chris's experience or my experience to work with in, in those creative capacities. And it's something that electronic music really hasn't had. So other styles of music, uh, you know, have a, a, maybe a longer history, especially in the United States. Um, but here, you know, we now have established companies that have been around for quite a while. And, um, you know, the, the management structures of those companies can develop, you know, routines. And then from there, uh, you can bring in fresh talent and, uh, you know, in terms of, like, your selection process and, you know, staying on top of things. Uh, but have maybe a, a bit more of an experienced hand, which is, uh, you know... I actually uh, also have a little bit of a problem acting my age, so I'm still out there pretty much raving all the time. So yeah. that helps. The, I, I, my friend Steve Weiss here uh, invited me last minute to go out to Vegas and uh, and check out the Electric Daisy Carnival this couple months ago. And I don't go to big parties much anymore, but that, that really kind of opened my eyes to what you're talking about. The audience has heavily shifted. Uh, this year, uh, we had a, a major drop in our attendance for the Techno Tribal Dance at Harmony Festival because we decided to make it 18 and up, and we've got a serious kick in the gut from that. And, you know, I we got those kids dancing their brains off in front of uh, um, uh, Rabbit in the Moon a couple of years ago. Total old school group, you know, and they're open. If, if, if the producers will, you know, is, are willing to kind of show them new things, they're definitely willing to accept old school. Old school is definitely still cool. But on the other side, I hate to keep bringing things back to Bass Nectar, but I watched Bass Nectar set at Electric Daisy Carnival, and it sounded pretty mainstream, actually. He was, he was remixing tracks that, you're, that you, you would never hear here in San Francisco. And so I think the diversity of the artists catering to, the, to their audience is an important part of that as well. Thank you. Uh, this is, uh, more questions. There you go. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, mostly ask Peter, I think, about your process Hi. The, the process that goes into um, classifying your genres on your front-facing product, but also how you classify your genres as they come in. How do you, how do you scale that? And also, <laughs> thanks a lot. I uh, work at Pandora, and you've been an incredible asset oh. for us. So Excellent. thanks we for love the work you, you do. <laughs> uh, genre classification is a tricky one. Um, the initial genre classifications that come in come to us from the labels. Um, and we will find... Uh, Certainly not in your case. But um, many labels will grab, uh, jump onto a genre that they think is popular right now, and they'll put all of their stuff in that genre. So if they think Progressive House is popular right now, but they have an Electro House track, they're going to put all their stuff in Progressive. Um, so we will police it 
um, as much as we can, but again, with 20,000 tracks uh, a week, it's difficult to police. So the bigger name ones, we will go through and try and put everybody in their right classifications and then send a little stern email saying, hey, guys, don't do that. It's bad. Um, moving forward, we're working on ways to make that uh, less painful on our team directly and share that responsibility with Is the there going to be a genre share. computer? What was Is that? there a genre computer at Beatport that we don't know about? That no, no. Analyzes we will the track. Keep, I mean, you have to, genres are people-based. Um, it's too it's too subjective. You can't have a computer decide that this is a, a genre or that's a genre. So we want to help others help us make some of these decisions. We have uh, at Accelerator have very interesting conversations about whether or not we're going to actually allow something to be a genre. And <laughs> oftentimes we don't know what to call something. Are you talking we'll about new genres? No. Okay. Just genrefication. Okay. All right, cool. All right. We see a lot of evolving genres, and uh, yeah, it's it's a blessing and a curse for both selling music and also talking about it. You know, uh, well, it goes uh, back to finding it. If you keep right. creating new genres and moving all your stuff around, then no one's ever going to remember where they bought this and that. And so we do try and keep our main genres locked down, and we will add subgenres if we think that it's necessary. Um, we only had our our first new top level genre in I think three years or four years was just. Uh, in June when we added uh, Glitch Hop, and that was uh, a huge... The community told us to add that. So, I mean, it becomes very obvious when we need to add a new genre, and the pain gets so large that we'll, it'll cross the threshold and we'll, we'll, we'll add the genre. Right, right. Uh, more questions? Yeah. Uh, sure, you, sir. Cool, thanks. Um, thank you. First, just want to say um, thanks to all you guys for your contributions in pushing dance music forward. Mad respect for all of you. And... Um, on a, an early point, when we were talking about uh, that, that shift from people actually buying and owning music to it becoming a streaming via internet radio, and I know this will kind of clue you out, Peter, because your people download, but um, do you feel like that is going to change people's uh, attitudes toward music in general and their experience of music, and specifically if it was going to make music sort of less sticky, uh, and maybe um, for you, Chris, you know, prove some problems in terms of branding artists and things like that? <clears throat> I think it's going to create all kinds of problems. Um, but I, I, I think, oh, I don't know. I mean, I, first of all, I don't really know where the whole thing is going to end up. But where I'd like to think it would end up is that somehow, by some mechanism, you pay some sort of monthly fee via your cable or something, and you're just getting all the music that's available in the world everywhere, in your car, on your phone, everything, and it's just there. And you have access to it, and you can listen to whatever you want, whenever you want it. And to me, that seems like if if I was Google and I had all the money in the world and I wanted to create, like, the ultimate music genre or ultimate music service, that's what I would make, something that you could just get it wherever. It seems like we're still a ways off Apple, from that. Apple's already heading uh, there with iCloud, for sure. Yeah, so, and, and I think the main aspect, too, is, like, can you get it in your car, too? Can you get it wherever you are and have access right. to it? Um, because then you don't need to have it in a locker or wherever. It's just you want to listen to you want to listen to Pink Floyd. You say I want to listen to Pink Floyd right now. You know, um, how does that? Cr I don't know that it creates any real. For, for me, I think it's a benefit. It's it's like it's really just about um, can you now find a way to get through to people to get them to listen to to, to take a chance and to listen to this record. They don't have to buy it. They just have to listen to it. Um, that seems like a, a pretty cool world, like to be able to to try to put to live in. You know, I I hope that it happens sometime at some point. I have, you know? I have a question for you, kind of tying onto that. So it seems like that's kind of been tried by uh, 
by satellite radio, XM, Sirius XM. I just canceled my Sirius XM, and they asked me why, and I told them because the bitrate sounded terrible. So it seems like there's been some serious attempts to create you know, commercial-free music in your car, whatever genre you, genre you want. Uh, how's that been, experience been from your end being a label? Do, they, do, do, do the satellite radio folks, have they been licensing a lot of music from you to use it? Has it, has it been a good outlet for you? It's been a really good outlet for us. Uh, first of all, the bit rate sucks, the sound quality sucks, and they don't have on-demand. It's all programming, which programming is a, I, I, should always be a huge part of it. But being able to, to say, I want to listen to this record right now and have it be there and just be on demand is not available, obviously. Uh, but it set, Sirius is our, our uh, number one sound exchange uh, royalty provider. I mean, we, we, they pay a lot of money to sound exchange. Uh, we get nice uh, royalty checks from them. And the label does and the artist does. So they pay the label directly and then they pay the artist directly. So everyone gets paid, and uh, Sirius is the number one account, at least for us, I think for everyone. We so have two minutes left, so we have one, one two-minute question. <coughs> uh, back there, yeah. Thank you. Hi, my name is Steve Wise. I'm with In Ticketing, and we do uh, the fan club ticketing for Bass Nectar, and we also do ticketing for Burning Man, Symbiosis events, um, a lot of live music and electronic music. And uh, my question is about this whole kind of convergence. As techies become more musicians and musicians become more techies, you think we'll start, I mean, you already said that, uh, I think, Zach, you were saying that it's not really, you know, electronic music isn't really underground anymore. You know, do you think it's going to get to be more where it's, it's not, you know, these two worlds, distinct worlds of live music and electronic music, that there'll be this more of a convergence and um, over the next three years, five years, ten years, that it'll, it'll really just be about music and there'll be electronic components in lots of bands and live components and electronic music, you know, do you see that kind of happening or is there so many purists that want to keep live music live and electronic music electronic? What's going to happen? Uh, it's already happening in a lot of ways. you got bands like Sound Tribe, Sector 9 and, and uh, and, and you know, Mutator and uh, Ioto and a bunch of these bands that are kind of creating that hybrid experience. Uh, Prodigy, yeah. You, and, and you'll see that in the other direction, too, where, where DJs are starting, like, uh, you'll get, you'll get uh, Random Rab or you'll get Ioto pulling a violin out, violin out or, or these hybrid bands like um, Pizza Antique that are really kind of fusing the live music. And again, I think that's, that's going to the other question that we talked about earlier about how where's that showmanship? And an audience is going to love seeing somebody pull out a violin and play to their laptop with their violin than look like they're checking their email the entire time. So, you know, there's, it's, it's a subgenre that's in, you know, in a live sense uh, uh, immersing. And from a production perspective, I know I, I see Sean Ahern, the pro- program director. He's booked all the artists for Harmony Festival for years. We're, he and I have worked to, to book the festival for a long time, and, and we're always looking for those artists that really great have that great great live show with the electronica, not just the DJs, not just the uh, not just the live bands, but that that hybrid's I think a hot commodity right now, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it in the live front. But the underground will never die, and that's the last uh, <laughs> last statement because uh, this is the end. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks to my panelists.